I have to admit I smiled a little bit when uh, Paige indicated the provisions for those who are hard of hearing. I am one of them, of course. But I recall uh, speaking at our chapel the other day where many of the speakers used microphones, and I did not. And I asked one of my students, how did my microphone, did my microphone work pretty well? I tend to talk a bit loud, and I hope you can hear me. Our scripture this morning is Galatians chapter 1, beginning with verse 11 through chapter 2, verse 16. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were, and it makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. 
And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Almighty Heavenly Father, bless this word to our hearts, even as Paul has written it to the Galatians, but to us as well, and all who may come after us until our Lord shall return. So bless it to our hearts and to our spirits. In Christ's name, amen. Now you have a strange thing in your bulletin. You have a, the words of a song. When I was at Kono Christian School, all of the youngsters from 7th grade through 12th were required to be in choir. <laughs> you would think that might not produce a very good choir since they weren't all people who would have chosen to be so, but our choir director made quite a wonderful choir uh, from them. And one of the songs that a men's quartet, boys' quartet sang was this. I wish I could play it for you because then you could hear the rhythm. I'm tempted to sing it, but I'm not sure that would be a good idea either. But notice the words of the chorus. Can he? Can he save me? Could he? Could he love me? Would he? Would he take me? We're all sinners, you know. Can he? Could he? Would he? Yes, he can. He could. He would. And he did. You can begin to hear the rhythm a little there. And then the uh, verse comes from the moment I heard about the Lord in his word. Well, it seemed a bit too good to be true. There were questions and doubts. I tried to figure it out. But the best that I could do was to wander around in the love that I found until my questions started answering themselves, singing, can he, could he, would he? Yes, he can, he could, he would. And he did. And then the next verse, you can say that you don't know it's necessarily so, like somebody said it once in a song, and you might not be aware of that. It comes from uh, George Gershwin's uh, opera Porgy and Bess, and a fellow who's not too highfalutin, who's not a believer. Porgy's a believer, uh, but he sings that. But it goes on, you think, can think what you choose, but let me tell you the news. The Lord has loved you all along. So you're asking again, will the doubts ever end? Can he? Can he save me? Could he? Could he love me? Would he? Would he take me? Did he? Did he really? Can he? Could he? Would he? Did he? Yes, he can. He could. He would. And he did. To some extent, uh, and I would have written a few of those words a little differently, but to some extent, that's the message of Galatians. That we're saved by the grace of God through Christ and through nothing else. So let's look at the letter. Let's look at what we have read. We're going to look at the reasons for this letter. We're going to look at Paul's call because he tells us about his call as a matter of his defense. And we're going to look at the confirmation that he received of his call. First, the reasons for this letter, Paul's reasons. Uh, number one, he had preached the gospel to the Galatians. 
he wants to be sure that that is still firmly with them and that it's not being lost or changed in any way. Secondly, he had seen the Spirit move in their hearts. He knew that they had received the gospel and that it had 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 effect in their lives. And third, now his teaching was being questioned. His call as an apostle was being questioned. And that's understandable. He did not walk with Christ during Christ's life. And so they were questioning his apostleship. Second, they questioned whether you could be saved apart from the law. Could you be saved if you didn't somehow make yourself good enough for God? As if you could do that. And beloved, you can't. And third, they questioned if the gospel was truly by grace alone. Was it truly free, as the little song, Can He, Could He, Would He, tells us, that it really is free? Well, why should we care about all this? This is his defense to the Galatians. We don't live in Galatia, which is a good thing, by the way, because that's all Muslim now, unfortunate and sad as that may be. The ancient questions don't affect us, right? Wrong. Many churches today explicitly or at least implicitly require works for salvation as either the totality or some part of what must be done for salvation. Some years ago, you don't hear much about it now uh, in theological circles, and you wouldn't hear it, the average person but they talked about what they called the new perspective on Paul. The new perspective on Judaism, on what Paul believed Judaism to be, included these things. First, that the covenant is freely given by Yahweh. Now that's true, that part of the new perspective. And the new perspective was a problem for people because it was such a mix of truth and falsehood. And that's sometimes true in some of the churches you can go to as well, that they have truth and falsehood mixed together. And you want to be careful not to do that. Second, you are born into the covenant. Now, if they mean that a child is born into the covenant family, that's okay. If they mean that you are born into salvation, that's not okay. We all need to come ultimately to faith in Christ. And I'm not speaking of what God may do with the infant who dies before having a chance to make that choice. I trust that to God. I can say nothing of that. But I'm talking of what the Scripture teaches of our need to come in faith to Christ for our salvation. And they taught in the new perspective that you must live a righteous life to stay in the covenant. This is the Arminian concept that our Methodist brothers hold to, that you can backslide into hell 
after you have been saved. And uh, you were not all here for Nick's church school class. I would that you all had the time on the Lord's Day morning to come to church school as well as church because you would have heard quite clearly that your salvation is given you by God, perfected by God. Your perseverance comes from God. You didn't use that particular word this morning, but the concept was freely and clearly there. And so we come to the old perspective, the biblical perspective. Uh, Covenant membership in the old perspective on Judaism, now listen carefully, can be by works of the law. You can be saved by the law. Scripture says it. It's true. But there's one condition. You must follow the law to perfection. Can't do it. Only one human being in all of history has ever done it. And you know that is Jesus Christ our Lord. That's why we can't be saved by the law. We can't be saved by the law, not because you couldn't be, if you could follow it perfectly. And we all know we've already not done that. Too late. But we can't be saved by the law because we're sinful. Ever since the fall, we are damned to hell. And I use those words, you know, sometimes children say, you used a bad word. Well, there's nothing wrong with, by the way, and this is true in everyday conversation as well. There's nothing wrong with using the words damn or hell. As long as you use them about what they mean. What's wrong about the use in everyday conversation is that people use them lightly and not according to what they mean. If you're talking to somebody and he says, I don't know this Christ you talk about. And you tell them that then you're damned to hell, and I'd like to show you how you could be saved for heaven. That's okay. Yahweh's grace, because none follow or ever did follow the law perfectly, allowed blood sacrifice to justify the sinner. I wish I could be here enough Sundays to preach all the way through Leviticus to you. (laughs) I'd like to do that to every congregation in the land, which obviously I'm not capable of doing. Leviticus is the gospel of the Old Testament. And if you can once get accustomed to the fact that those first 16 chapters dealing with sacrifice, are simply telling us that which Christ has fulfilled. And go on and read it. It's just like Romans. The first half is doctrine, the sacrifices. The second half from 17 on, like from 12 on in Romans, is how to live a biblical life. 
and we would say now a Christian life. It is the gospel. So works of obedience are not what brings salvation, Old Testament or New Testament. It is the grace of God allowing blood sacrifice to justify the sinner. And the only reason we no longer sacrifice cattle in this church, which would require a little problem with the carpet, is because Christ our Lord gave his blood for our salvation. So we get then to come then to the perspective on Paul's teaching. The new perspective is that Paul was only preaching against Jewish markers, things that mark you as Jewish or not. Hence, he said, you don't have to be circumcised. That's just a marker. It just shows. But there are other things that you do have to do. Works of obedience are required for salvation. By the way, in the New Testament, they would cite James. We'll talk about that in a a little bit. The old biblical perspective is this. Of course, obedience is required of each of us. Not for our salvation, but because God is our Savior. He is our Creator. And He has every right to ask and expect obedience from us. And what that obedience entails will differ a little bit. In some ways, it will be the same for all of us to praise God, to worship God, to get into and understand his word, to love our neighbors, to love God uh, with all our hearts and mind and soul, as we spoke of in the corporate confession this morning. And some ways it will be different. Uh, Nick is involved in teaching woodworking for Christ and for his students, too. I am involved in teaching civics for Christ. (laughs) And yes, you can teach anything for Christ because anything you teach is part of God's world. All right? Obedience is commanded of men, but not for salvation. Because of Adam's sin and our sinfulness, we cannot achieve that level of perfection needed to deserve salvation. And when I say sin and sinfulness, by sin I mean that original sin, that sin that is a part of our being. I'm sorry, I turned that around. Our sinfulness is that which is part of our being, and our sin is those things that we do because of it. So when we talk about our sin needing to be forgiven, we're not just talking about the things we've done, which need forgiveness for sure but also that which is within, which needs to be cleansed. That's why I say Leviticus is the gospel of the Old Testament. It talks again and again about being clean, being clean, being clean. And you've heard the saying, cleanliness is next to godliness. If you're talking about spring cleaning in your house, it's not true. But if you're talking about spring cleaning in your heart, it is true. And it's not just New Old Testament, Leviticus, be clean and make these sacrifices so that you can become clean. It's in the New Testament, and you know this. 
First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's the faithful part. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the just part. If you ever look at that verse again, look at it that way. See those two things. Faithful, just, forgiveness, cleansing. That's what Christ did on the cross. Christ went to the cross to cleanse us from our sins. Justification. Okay. The grace of justification by sacrifice then is the answer to man's need, to our need. Works have great value in God's sight. Works need to be done. But they in no way earn salvation. So Paul's conclusion, therefore we can have assurance of our salvation. If you are saved, if you have come to faith in Christ, there is no way you are going to backslide into hell. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to be saved. If you are, you are. It's a done deal because it's by God's power. And that's what Nick emphasized this morning. It's by God's power that it's done. It's by God's power that it is maintained. It's by God's power that it will be maintained until the end of your life or the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, I mentioned James. And that our salvation is in no way dependent upon our works. Well, what about James? James says, faith without works is dead. And he says that Abraham was justified by his obedience. What do we do with that? We understand the context, and that's going to get into more detail than I'm going to deal with this morning. But the point that we can make simply and move on in Galatians, is this. That if you say you have faith, and you have no works of righteousness showing up in your life, you have no living faith. You have not yet come to Christ. In James we read that even the devils believe. It's not a matter of believing that Christ is God's Son. It's not a matter of believing that Christ came to die for man's sin, or even for your sin. The devils know that, and they tremble. It's a matter of coming to Christ in faith, becoming His you know, um, let me use a, a human example. I imagine that I'm a young man now. It takes a little imagination. But hopefully you have enough. Imagine I'm a young man, a bachelor. And I, I meet a young woman, beautiful young woman. Wonderful personality. Very intelligent. And I know that she would make a good wife. But until I say I am ready to give my life to her, I'm not ready to have her give her life to me. Do you hear what I'm saying? That coming together in union has got to happen, or else I, 
I can know all I want. I can, I can say, oh, she'd make a wonderful wife, but she's not my wife. I can know everything about Christ, and if I have not yet come in union to him, I'm not yet saved. I have to have faith in him. Now let's go on and talk a little bit about Paul's call. And we're going to come back in a different way to the issue I just mentioned. But Paul's call, as Paul reports it in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. This is not man's gospel. I am called to preach the gospel that comes from our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not mine. His. Supporting ideas, verse 12. He says, the gospel that I taught and that I teach was not received from or taught to me by any man. No one taught me the gospel. Now, I'm going to say that that in some ways is true and in some ways is not. He was taught the Old Testament. Gamaliel taught him the Old Testament. And it's from the Old Testament that he's preaching the gospel. So he was taught things that God used. But simply being taught the Old Testament didn't do it. His gospel of salvation by grace through faith was not taught to him. He says that as is true for all apostles, and he's defending his apostleship here, he received the gospel through a revelation of, I tell my students in the classes, watch your prepositions, listen to that, by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Not from Jesus Christ. Not that Jesus, you know, the apostles received revelation from Jesus Christ before they ever became Christians. All the teaching he was giving them was from Jesus Christ. But they had to come to that personal knowledge, that personal faith. And that was a struggle for them. You read it in the New Testament. Read it in Acts. And they did come to that after his resurrection. And partly before. But they struggled. A revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ met him on the Damascus Road, it was a revelation of. You see the difference in the preposition there, how important that is? So, and we all receive it both ways. We all receive revelation from and relation of, revelation of. When I preach to you, that's what you're getting is revelation from. When you read the scripture, you're reading revelation from. That's good. I hope it's good. It's meant to be good. But you need to receive revelation of Jesus Christ. It needs to become part of you. A living part of you. Now, Paul, verses 13 to 14, he tells about why he needed this revelation of Jesus Christ. Because he knew the Old Testament. He knew Leviticus. He knew the gospel. He didn't know it was the gospel yet. He didn't relate it to the Messiah in the way that we now would. But he knew it. 
He was persecuting the church violently. I would say as a former coach or as a teacher, he was unteachable. And in terms of evangelism, he was unreachable. Until Christ met him on that Damascus road. He was steeped in the tradition of the fathers. Acts 22, he gives his defense when arrested in Jerusalem. He says, I am a Jew educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is still an honored rabbi among the Jewish people. I mean, there are certain numbers of them that they remember, as we might remember Luther or Calvin. He was a zealous Jew. He persecuted the way. That's what they called the Christian faith until those in Antioch first were called Christians. As scripture tells us, it was called the way. He persecuted it. He was sent to Damascus with letters from the elders to imprison or kill every follower of the way he could find. If he had walked into this congregation this Lord's Day morning with those letters without having experienced the Damascus Road, we would be in trouble. At least if the officials would go along with him. (laughs) That's who he was. But he was blinded by a great light on the way to Damascus. And it was a revelation of Christ. Because Christ said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, what shall I do, Lord? Go on into Damascus and wait. And a man will come to you. And Ananias came and told him about Christ. So two key points for understanding this letter. He was not open to receiving the gospel from men. Our Savior directly intervened in his life. Now notice this happened in God's appointed time. What's God's appointed time? I want you to think about that just a minute. It's a complex question, and it calls for a complex answer. God's appointed time for calling Paul first was before the foundation of the world. God called all of us before the foundation of the world, before Adam and Eve existed. So that's the first appointed time. Secondly, Paul was set apart before he was born. I don't know if that means before he was even conceived or after he was conceived in the womb, but I know it was before he came out. And I was appointed, this is really strange to think about, I was appointed to be in this pulpit this morning before I was born. (laughs) And it took me 82 years to get here. (laughs) And you were appointed for the things that you're appointed for, whether it's teaching woodworking or engineering or whatever you were appointed, or being a mother or father or grandfather, whatever. Paul was taught the Old Testament scripture at the feet of Gamaliel. That was God's appointed time. 
because it was his knowledge of that scripture that allowed him to understand who Christ was after Christ revealed himself to him. And that gave him the foundation for the doctrine that he would teach and that he has taught and that he is teaching us this very day. Paul received his commission through Ananias, one of the fellows he was going on the way to Damascus to kill or imprison. What is God's appointed time in your life? God's appointed time in your life was before the foundation of the world, before you were born, all the way through your life at different periods. And today, and today. I did not immediately consult, he said, in his point in saying this is that his gospel is not from consulting and finding out what it was. That was the key word, the key word consult for the purpose of being taught. There is a time to consult, and he did later, three years later, he met with uh, James and with uh Cephas, which is to say Peter, another name for Peter. And he spent 15 days, he says, with Peter. And they talked and they shared about the gospel. What a time. Wouldn't it be wonderful to be there and listening to those two men talk to each other? Wow. We we can't do that. That's not our appointed time. (laughs) But it was their appointed time. And so they did consult. And his gospel was confirmed after the time spent with Peter and James. Um, and they, they uh, offered the uh, right hand of fellowship to he and to Barnabas. Now, there was further travel and witnessing in between. He went to Syria, which is a country north of Israel. Uh, you should know where it is. It's still there. And a lot of warfare went on in that. Some of what's going on in Ukraine is related to what went on in Syria a few years ago. Still there. And Cilicia, he mentions. Cilicia is on the Mediterranean coast of Turkey. About, if you went from the far eastern end of Turkey on the Mediterranean, about a quarter of the way, I don't know in miles, uh, you'd find the Tarsus River, and the city of Tarsus is there in Cilicia. That's where Paul was from. Uh, that was a place that he journeyed to. And then after meeting with James and Peter and John, he went out to his ministry again and ministered to the people for whom he was appointed to minister. And beloved, one of the realities that I would have you remember is that he was appointed to minister to us. And that's why we have his letters in writing. He didn't write the letters to be saved. At least I don't think he I mean, I don't know. I've never talked to him. I'm not that old. He wrote them to help the people to whom he was writing. But God had him write them to be saved. Appointed, you see, for us. 
So remember these things from these passages that we've just looked at. First, Paul's gospel is of the Lord, and it's appointed to come to us. Second, we are free from the law's slavery. We can be absolutely assured of our salvation. And finally, we are therefore free to graciously do good works today, not to earn our salvation, but in thanksgiving and in demonstration that we belong to the Lord and we will do and we do fulfill works that he calls us to accomplish. Let's pray. Almighty Heavenly Father, I praise you, Father, that my salvation is totally dependent upon your work, upon your power, upon your strength. I know that I would not persevere without you, but with you I can. I praise you, Father, that I can be assured of my salvation. And I praise you, Father, that you have given good works that I can do, good works for each of us that we can do, to show that we are saved, to indicate the love that you have for others who are not yet saved, to offer our thanksgiving to you for our salvation. We praise you for all these things. In Christ's name, amen.